Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Well, it is spring, but it's getting a little chilly around areas of the state. Hope you are staying warm on these cold mornings. Thanks for joining us for Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin, your host, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. In the Texas High Plains, we haven't even planted this season's cotton yet, so harvest is a long way off. But when harvest does come around, a top priority should be being careful with plastic. I'm James Hunt, and I'll explain that on Texas Ag Today. How the Livestock Dealer Statutory Trust Law protects sellers of livestock. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have those details on Texas Ag Today. Texans love their turf grass. We'll be talking about how to care for lawns in Texas. Please join me, John Bagno, for discussions on lawn care. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. An important deadline for Texas landowners is approaching fast. Jessica Domel has the story. Texas landowners have just a few days left to submit paperwork for an open space, ag use, or wildlife property valuation. Tiffany Dowell-Lashmet, Agriculture Law Specialist for the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service, says not all landowners need to make a trip down to the tax office. If you had open space valuation last year and you didn't receive any sort of information from the Central Appraisal District, then you probably are fine. I always tell people it doesn't hurt to double check, but in general, it's only a one-time application that has to be filed for open space valuation. There's actually a separate provision in the Texas Constitution that allows for valuation based on agricultural use. Most people, we sort of slang say ag use when we mean open space. The open space valuation is a, a tiny bit newer. It's quite a bit easier to meet. And so most people qualify under open space. If, however, you are someone who is still qualifying under that 1D agricultural use, then you do have to do a annual application. Double check that. But for most people, if you had it last year and it was open space, you wouldn't have to refile. I'll tell you where this can get people, though. The first one is if you want to apply for that open space valuation for the first time, right? So maybe you are now using the land, you meet the requirements, you need to file that application. That's a situation where you need a new application. Also, if you're looking to change from the open space valuation to wildlife management valuation, that paperwork would have to be filed before May 1st. If you've recently bought property and it qualifies for a specialty valuation, you'll have to submit an application, even if the property has qualified in the past under a prior owner. Applications must be submitted by Friday, April 30th. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Plastic contamination remains a major headache for the cotton industry. James Hunt reports from Amarillo. 
As the use of round modules became the popular way to go with cotton at harvest time, the new process has proven its worth, especially when it comes to how well the heavy plastic wrapping protects the cotton from wet conditions. But along with the benefits, there's also been a rise in plastic contamination, a problem that can cost farmers and ginners money. Tony Williams of the Texas Cotton Ginners Association believes within five or ten years there will be affordable technology to help ginners remove the contaminants from the cotton. Until that new cleaning technology arrives, however, the best way to defend against contamination is for everyone involved to be careful with modules, beginning with the farmer. He needs to do everything he can when harvesting that round module, then where he places that round module, stages it for pickup from the gin. He needs to do everything he can to keep from puncturing that bag, dragging that plastic round module on the ground, keep from puncturing that plastic out of the field. And of course, the ginner needs to exercise caution in handling the module during pickup and unloading, and to be vigilant beyond that. Ginners, we're trying to do a better job of monitoring plastic at the module feeder head. If we see that we've got a lot of plastic wrapped around the module feeder shafts in there, then shut down and clean it off, try to get that plastic off of them. And Williams says it's important that farmers and ginners make sure all employees involved are educated on how to deal with these round modules. Speaking of education about this issue, Texas A&M AgriLife has a program coming up on May 5th, and you can participate online via Zoom. Tony Williams will be one of the presenters for the webinar, joining other experts to discuss various ramifications of this concern. Learn more about the upcoming AgriLife webinar by searching online using the words Plastics in Cotton webinar. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Livestock sellers now have more protection if a buyer defaults on payment. Tom Nicoletti tells why. My guest today is Chelsea Good with the Livestock Marketing Association. She is Vice President of Government and Industry Affairs with LMA in Kansas City. The Livestock Dealer Statutory Trust was signed into law in December of 2020 as part of the Coronavirus Relief Package. Who is protected and how are they now legally protected, Chelsea? Well, we're really excited to see dealer trust get signed into law. Essentially, anybody who sells to a livestock dealer, somebody who's in the business of buying and reselling livestock, now has much better protections in the event of a livestock dealer default. And that includes livestock auction markets, but it also includes producers that might be selling to a livestock dealer directly, either in the country or potentially at a buying station of that livestock dealer. And the way that they are now protected is unpaid sellers of livestock now have first priority to go get those livestock back, or if they've been resold, first priority in the proceeds or receipts from those livestock. Believe it or not, prior to this law changing in 2020, there could be a bad check on livestock. The producer could even know where those livestock were and often did not have the priority or the rights to get those animals back. And so that's what changed with this dealer statutory trust coming into law. Yes, uh, the real benefit for uh, livestock producers, whether they be cattle or sheep producers, is providing uh, the opportunity for uh, unpaid livestock sellers to regain their livestock or the proceeds from their sale in the event that uh, their buyer defaults. So uh, this is huge for them. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's something where when these situations happen to an individual, they can be devastating. For many producers, when you're selling either calves or your sheep crop, that could be kind of your one big paycheck a year. And, and we've seen defaults in the past be a really painful experience. 
So one really neat thing about the Dealer Statutory Trust is it's a change in the statute and the law that gives this legal priority, but it doesn't take a lot of changes to -to day-to-day business. Livestock and funds for livestock will continue to flow. Nobody has to do anything different. The only thing that occurs different is in the event of a default, that unpaid seller will give notice to both the livestock dealer and then also the U.S. Department of Agriculture, Packers and Stockyards Division, and it is at that point point where the priority is kicked in and those livestock or proceeds from livestock go to that unpaid seller of livestock before going anywhere else. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. We're experiencing a cool snap across much of Texas this week, but we'll be mowing grass before you know it. Horticulturalist John Begno has more on Texas lawn care from San Angelo. Well, we seem to love lawns, not just Texas, but a lot of the U.S., and That's probably a generational thing. Our parents liked them. And, you know, in the early days, people used to sweep their yards. But now we have lawnmowers and fancy gadgets. And there's three main things to remember about having a beautiful weed-free yard. Now, first of all is mowing. You want to mow so that you remove very little or no more than one-third at each mowing. So those of us that let it get real tall before we mow and then cut off half of it are doing more damage than we are good. The frequency of mowing means that instead of doing it once a week like some lawn care places do, it might be once every five days. If you're taking care of it yourself, it's easy to adjust, but you can hardly adjust somebody who does it as a contract laborer. Now, Fertilizing is very important. Some people would put it as number one, but really mowing is very, very important. Fertilizing helps to the lawn grass to spread and to become healthy and develop good root systems. All across Texas, one really good fertilizer, if we were going to choose only one, would be something similar to a 21-7-14 or a 3-1-2 ratio. Some people call it a winterizer, but It seems to work very good, and you can also contact your local extension office to see what might work best for you. Frequency. Spring, we always do, and we a lot of times do in fall. But if you get the doldrums in the summer and Bermuda goes to seed and it just doesn't seem to be growing or green, then don't hesitate to fertilize. You can even fertilize when it's warm and hot. Water is the third big thing. We like to water weekly, and we say about one inch of water That depends if you have good deep sand. If you had deep sand, you might have to do a little more water or a little bit more frequently. And the type of grass is sure important. Bermuda grass is more drought-hardy than St. Augustine in most cases. And your level of, of desire, if you want it to be a lush, dark green lawn that's, you know, just vibrant, you might need a little more water than those of us who don't mind it getting a little drought stressed. So now's the time to start our our Texas Turf Grass Management Program. So just do the best you can with those big three. This is John Begno reporting from San Angelo. There will be a few changes for Texas turkey hunters in the upcoming season. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have details coming up on Texas Ag Today. And there are several things in our homes that are poisonous to pets. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
When we moved to Texas, we were like fish out of water. We didn't know anyone in our neighborhood until our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent came to the house. She was so helpful and reassuring, a friendly face with that Texan hospitality I'd heard about. When we purchased a Texas Farm Bureau insurance policy, we knew we were making the right choice. We knew our family would be protected. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an insurance agent who's a true neighbor. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. There are several things in our homes that can be poisonous to our pets. So what should we keep an eye on? Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has some advice. Again this year, the ASPCA Poison Control Center indicates the number one pet poison for dogs is over-the-counter human medications. Almost 17% of the calls to the Animal Poison Control Center were related to pet ingestion of over-the-counter pain medications like ibuprofen or Tylenol, as well as human cold medications and vitamins. Second on the list of pet poisons is human prescription medications, especially antidepressants, anti-seizure medications, and heart medications. Some of these medications can cause severe illness and death in animals, so it's a good idea to pick a cabinet up high and lock it to make sure your pets cannot accidentally be exposed to human medications. Another common place for exposure is women's purses that are left on the floor that contain human medication. Next on the list is human food ingestion that is toxic like grapes, raisins, onions, garlic, and the artificial sweetener xylitol. As far as one specific food, chocolate is still number one as the Poison Control Center indicates they receive an average of 76 calls a day just about chocolate exposure of pets. Exposure of pets to plants actually increased last year and this is suspected due to home quarantine and COVID as more plants were likely purchased. Most plant poisonings are due to exposure to succulents such as aloe vera and philodendron. Next on the list of most common poisons is household poisons like paint and spackle. Rat poisons are always common poisons for pets and can be deadly in many cases. Rounding out the list of poisons are veterinary products, insecticides used around the house, and outdoor gardening products. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. There will be a few changes for Texas turkey hunters in the upcoming season. Jessica Domel has the details in today's wildlife report. Texas turkey hunters will see a few changes to statewide hunting regulations in the upcoming season. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Commission approved several changes at its most recent meeting, including closing spring turkey season in Panola County. Sean Oldenberger, Small Game Program Director for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, told the commission that on average, less than one turkey has been reported as harvested over the past three seasons in that county. We generally consider basically harvest to be linear with population size in these counties, eastern wild turkeys. You can see there in the early 2000s and 2001, we harvested 14 wild turkeys during this season, and then it bumped back up in 2005 to about 16 individuals harvested. However, since then, harvest has basically linearly declined to the point where in 2018 and 2019, there were no birds harvested. So this indicates a population decline in this county. Therefore, staff are recommending to close season next year in Panola County during the spring-only season. The commission also approved the movement of the turkey zone boundaries between 
the fall and spring seasons in the north and south zones. It affects the counties with a four-bird annual bag limit. Currently, in the fall, the boundary between the north and south zones is Highway 90. In the spring, an additional 27 counties are added to one of the zones, and the boundary is moved further north. The proposed changes would make the north and south zone boundary consistent throughout both turkey hunting seasons. We actually find that those current counties north of 90, uh, currently in the south zone, open a little early. So this would actually allow a lot more female turkeys to get bred during this time of the year and get on nest before we actually open hunting season. That was Sean Oldenberger from the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The bearishness in the cattle market continues into this week. Monday was not a good day. We ended up lower once again for both live and feeder cattle futures. However, cold weather is giving support to the grain markets. We'll take a closer look at all of Monday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Here's a thought for Earth Day. American farmers are the original conservationists. They preserve the land, grow more food with fewer resources, and protect nature season after season. That's why commitments from Syngenta's Good Growth Plan focus on three key goals. Helping farmers, accelerating innovation to support climate resiliency, and improving sustainability of agriculture for future generations. This message is brought to you by Syngenta as we celebrate this year's Earth Day theme, Restore Our Earth. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Well, the bearishness just continues in the cattle futures market on Monday. We ended up lower in both live and feeder cattle futures. April live cattle dropped 50 cents to close at 120.35. The June down 57, 118.60. August down 50 cents, 118.65. Same story in the feeder market. April feeder cattle down $1.90, 137.72. May feeders down $1.25, 142.47. The August down a dollar seventy-seven at one fifty-two seventy-seven. Cash-fed cattle market all quiet on a Monday. We wrapped up last week selling cattle as high as one twenty-one here in the South. When you look up north, they were able to bump prices as high as one twenty-five on a live basis, one ninety-six on the rail. Box beef prices lower on Monday, but we still are looking at very high levels. The choice down 23 cents, 275.82. Select down $1.58 at 270.68. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Neighbor, I'm Larry Marble. You're listening to Walking the Pens from the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. It's time to head to Angelo, San Angelo, and talk to Jody Fry. He had a cattle sale there on Thursday. I caught up with Jody as he was about to drive home. Jody, how'd that cattle sale turn out? Your better quality steers, four to 600 pounds from 130 up to a high of 185, mostly 140 to 165. Better quality heifer calves weighing four to 600 pounds from 115 up to a high of near 155, mostly 125 to 145. Slaughter cows averaged to high yielding, 51 to 63. Still had some of the highest yielding slaughter cows from 64 to a high of 71. Thinner and lower yielding type cows, still some of those from 33 to 49. Slaughter bulls averaged to high yielding from 70 to 88. Did have some of the highest yielding slaughter bulls from 90 to a dollar a pound. Bread cows kind of traded from 725 to a high of 925. 
Calcif pairs, 850 to 1100. Several sets of those better quality to choice quality sets, anywhere from 12 to 1400. Have more of those McCoy Landing Cattle Company pairs this next week. And the age will be good. We're looking for uh, three year old cows. They've got their second calf at side. There'll be several truckloads of those. They're coming in over the weekend and have them ready for next Thursday sale. The quality's good. The flesh condition on some of these cows today was pretty thin. Like I said, they met with good demand, had a lot of interest on them, and I bet we have a pretty good turnout next Thursday as well. How about sheep and goats? Surely right. not 9,000 head, but I could see where it could be at least six to 7,000 again, and, and who knows, maybe more. Jody, tell everybody how to get a hold of you. Call any of us there at the office at 325-653-3371. My mobile phone, same area code, 234-7895. Neighbor, that's it for Walking the Pens. I'm Larry Marble. I've been your host, and you're listening to us on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Back over to the futures market now where lean hogs were sharply higher on Monday. The May contract up 317, 105.65. June hogs up 262 at 104.32. Class 3 milk slightly higher. April up 3 cents, 17.67. May milk up 7 at 19.11, 100 weight. The cotton market closed lower as traders wait on some fresh news to move this market one way or the other. Of course, they're continuing to keep a close eye on the drought situation here in Texas and how that is going to affect planting, especially in West Texas and on the High Plains. We close with May cotton down 45 points, 83.26. The July down 32 at 84.71. December cotton down 3 points, 82.50. Hard red winter wheat futures closed slightly higher, getting some support from the weather forecast. We're looking at sub-freezing temperatures throughout much of the U.S. high plains. That's expected to reach even down into the Texas panhandle, so we'll have to wait and see what effect that has on the wheat crop. We ended up closing with July Kansas City wheat up 2.5, and three quarters. Soft wheat, however, was slightly lower. July Chicago wheat down one and a quarter, six fifty-three and three quarters. The corn market continues to climb higher. The nearby contract is at the highest level we've seen in seven years on support from weather concerns and strong U.S. demand. That nearby May corn contract up another six and a half cents. It closed at five ninety-two a bushel. September corn up eight cents, five thirty-seven and a half. December corn up eight at five twenty and a quarter. The energy markets were higher. May natural gas up six cents, two seventy-four. May crude oil up thirty-four cents at sixty-three forty-seven a barrel. The financial markets mixed with the Dow Jones Industrial Average down one hundred twenty-three points, thirty-four thousand seventy-seven. The Nasdaq down one hundred thirty-seven at thirteen thousand nine fourteen. The S and P five hundred down twenty-two points, four thousand one sixty-three. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Don't forget, we'll be right back here tomorrow to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website, at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.